I'm going to follow instructions this morning. Back in 2017, I was uh, pastoring at First Baptist Church of Faraday, Louisiana, and uh, our association had got, gotten together, the Delta Baptist Association got together, and we began to plan uh, an evangelistic event. It was a, what you might call a crusade. Anybody know what a crusade is? Uh, Dr. Billy Graham used to do those, and, and uh, the Reverend Billy Graham, and there was a lot of people involved in that, and we had, we planned for Jared Greer to come. He's an American ninja warrior, and he had his apparatus, and he set that thing up, and he was doing all of his uh, stunts and everything that he did on that, and we had um, the Reverend Fred Luter coming uh, to preach and all of that, but leading up to the event, which we had spent years planning, uh, the forecast was calling for 90%, uh, 90% chance of rain on the day that we were going to do this outdoor event. And, and I'm telling you, there were thousands of people coming to this event. We had been praying for thousands of people to show up. And, and so the day of, we said, well, rain or shine, we're going to do this event, even if we have to move it to uh, First Baptist Church uh, downtown in, in Vidalia, Louisiana. We would put it indoors, even though we knew that place couldn't hold everyone, and we knew that it wouldn't be a great event. We said that's what we would do if it rained. But then we got together and we prayed that it would not rain that day. Okay? Well, the day of the event came, and on that day, it was, a, it was an amazing sight. If you had been there, you would have thought, goodness gracious, all around, we drove through rain to get there, and all around... Uh, the amphitheater where this event was happening, it was pouring rain, thundering and lightning, threat of tornadoes. But over our event, the sky was crystal clear. And it lasted all morning long and all afternoon long, all the way till the evening, till the event was over. And when we said the final amen at the end, after uh, many people gave their hearts to Jesus, many people rededicated their lives, children were uh, giving their lives to Jesus, and, and uh, that last amen, the bottom fell out. And we had to put the whole thing up in the rain. And everybody that was there said, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. You know, there's glimpses of God every day. And that's what I've entitled the message this morning. Just one glimpse of God. And if you could have one glimpse of God, it would change your perspective on everything that's going on in your life. But I believe that we can have these glimpses of God. Now, Job is going to say some words here in Job chapter 42 as a response to everything that he's just heard from God. He's seen God in the whirlwind. What, what has caused Job to come to these conclusions? Well, it was that glimpse of God that he had. And so we're going to hear what Job has to say. If you've got your Bible open, Job chapter 42, and we'll begin in verse 1. Why don't you stand with me and we'll read together. We'll read down through verse 6. Job chapter 42 Verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? 
Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Now, the second time he's quoting the Lord, he says, Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to be. And Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Let's pause and pray. Our Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight, Lord. Lord, if we find ourselves in the position of Job where we're enduring suffering, Lord, let us be able to see the light, your light, at the end of that tunnel. And let us trust you through the darkness to know that one day we will see the light of your glory. Father, that you have a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose. And nothing can change that. And let us rest assured of your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, that you are making a way for us. And that one day we will see you face to face. Lord, let that bring us comfort and let that bring us hope. And Father, as we look ahead to the days of come, may we do that with a smile on our face courage in our hearts and may we press on for your glory and we pray it in Jesus name amen you may be seated what caused this kind of humble response from Job the Lord showed up and answered Job now Job had required that God answer him he demanded a response from God but the Lord showed up and answered I think that's interesting because Job uh, demanded this response and he had absolutely no right to do so but the Lord is gracious and the Lord does care about us when we're afflicted Can somebody say amen he cares he loves us and so rather than denying Job's request the Lord showed up but Job got a little bit more than he bargained for whenever the Lord showed up it was a fearful thing Job uh, heard the Lord say this in Job 38 he said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, if God said that to you, I, I promise you, you'd feel this small. You'd just want to fall down on your face. Now, the Lord said to Job, look, hey, you're darkening counsel with words without knowledge. In other words, you're muddling it all up. <laughs> You're, you're, you're hiding the truth. In other words, God is the truth. He, he is only truth. And Job doesn't understand the things that he's talking about. And then God says, dress for action like a man. In other words, hey, get ready. I'm coming. I'm about to speak. And you're going to have to answer me. And then he begins to say things like, where were you whenever I made heaven and earth? You know, the Lord re regulates everything in creation. He talks about the stars. He says, where were you whenever I led the hosts of heaven? He, he talks about the sun and the moon. Job 38 uh, continues and it says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? See, God was the one who laid out the earth, the circumference of the earth. He knows exactly how big it is because he determined it to be so. And then he says to Job, where were you? Who determined it? Surely you know. In other words, he's saying to Job, you think you know so much, but you really don't know much at all. 
Who stretched the line upon it? On who were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together for all the, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Listen, whenever stars worship you, you can think a little bit of yourself. But only God has those bragging rights. Only God is worshipped by all of His creation. And then he goes on and talks about the times and the seasons in verse 33 of chapter 38. He says, do you know the ordinance of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? The ocean tides, the water cycle. Do you have the power, he says, to care and control for nature? Uh, animals depend on the Lord for provision. The Lord controls it all. And then, he, then toward the end of the Lord's speech to Job, he points out two animals. Now, we don't really know what these animals are for sure, but he talks about behemoth and leviathan. Now, behemoth was a large animal. It talks about how it ate grass, but it had a, had a trunk like a, a, a tail, like a, a tree trunk. And some have said, well, that's a dinosaur. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. If you go to the Creation Museum, maybe they'll clear that up for you and you can know what it means. And leviathan, they say, well, well, that's a sea monster of some sort. Maybe it is a crocodile. It talks about who can draw it out with a fish hook. Who can, who can handle it. And, and what God is saying is he, He's pointing out His creation. He's pointing out these two animals. And He's saying, look, you can't even control these animals. They're too magnificent for you. And I'm the one that created them. And what He's saying is the world that we live in is a very difficult place to understand. It's very dangerous. And yet, it's also very wonderful. And God is in control of it. Not you and me. He's God and we're not. That's what Job saw whenever he caught a glimpse of God. He said, you're God and I'm not. I can't do this. And then the Lord says in chapter 40, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Are you going to accuse me of not doing it the right way. Are you going to accuse me of injustice? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. Job looked at himself and he said, I'm little and you're big. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. The Lord silenced Job. It was a glimpse of, glimpse of God that changed Job's perspective. Somebody said this past week in our prayer time that they used to uh, look for God sightings. And we used to teach our children to do this during vacation Bible school, to look for God sightings during your day. Like things that you could say, well, that was God at work. That, that was, I saw Him working. You know, there were people in the Old Testament that got some, some biblical and in the New, uh, some biblical examples of God sightings. You remember Abraham, he caught a glimpse of God whenever God met him one night. He saw a smoking fire pot pass by in Genesis 15. The Lord promised to bless him and his offspring. Jacob caught a glimpse of God. You remember when he was on the road and he was running from Esau and he had a vision, in the night, a dream in the night, and he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven. And the one at the top was like the Son of Man. 
Moses caught a glimpse of God twice on Mount Sinai. Exodus 3 and 5, God told him to take his sandals off of his feet for the place he was standing was holy ground. And then he, uh, he saw him again on that same spot and the Lord passed by and said, The Lord, the Lord. And he described himself as gracious and steadfast in love. Peter caught a glimpse of God just on an ordinary day out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. Hadn't caught anything. And the Lord said to him, go back out. Put your nets out one more time. He said, I'll do it because you told me to. And Peter went out and they caught so many fish that it was ter- they were tearing the nets. And Peter fell down on his knees and Peter said to the Lord, he said, go away from me for I am a sinful man. He caught a glimpse of holy God. You remember the the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They caught a glimpse of the Lord. They didn't recognize Him at first. But do you remember what they said? They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? But I want to tell you this. You can have, you can have a glimpse of God that will change you forever if you simply will draw near to God in your heart. And this is what Job did. Job drew near to the Lord. He didn't draw away from God. Now, he was definitely on the verge of that, but he never drew away from God. He always directed his questions and he directed his desire toward God. And God fulfilled that desire. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's what Job did. James 4.8, you remember this one? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you say, "Well, well, God's never shown up in my life. Well, I ask you this. Could it be that... I got your attention. <laughs> Didn't do that on purpose. Could it be that God has been there the whole time, but we've been distracted? We've just been too distracted to see Him. God works every single day in our lives. Psalm 101, verse 3. David said to the Lord, he said, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless or any unclean thing. And yet here's what we do. We allow those unclean things to be set before us and we spend time gazing at them and we miss the glimpse of God that was meant for us to catch that day. And could it be that like Job, we've kind of lost grasp on the situation? we've, We've lost perspective and need a fresh perspective from God? Here's the biblical truth I want to share with you this morning. When you behold the King of Heaven, you will gain a heavenly perspective. When, when, you, when you can focus on God, everything else around you will come into perspective. I want to give you just a, a little bit of a perspective change that you need to get this morning. I've got three things for you. Number one, when you want what God wills, you'll have what God gives. And this is a perspective change. Sometimes we want what we want and we expect God to give it to us as a blessing. But here's what the Bible teaches us to do. And this is what Job needed to understand. Is that when you want what God wills, you'll have what God gives. And 
some of us, this is what we do, we run away from God and we seek after the things of the world. We seek after the things that we desire rather than seeking God. And what Job has to say is, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, God's will will be done. Can somebody say that with me? God's will will be done. It will, it, he will accomplish that which he sets out to do. And nothing can change it. So here's the thing. Either you can get on board with that and you can receive the blessings of God or you can fight against it and you'll suffer. And that's one, it's one or the other. Either you're going to get on board with God or you're going to fight against God. That's one or the other. And, and I'm going to tell you this, 4,000 years since this was written, God's power has not been diminished one bit. And God's purposes have never failed once since the time Job wrote this until today. And it will always be that way. And some will say, well, <clears throat> well, I don't believe in God. And that's how they get around the problem. You see, either you get on board with God or you go against God. And some will say, well, I just don't believe in God. How could a God who allows human suffering, how could he exist? If, God, if God's a good God and there's evil in the world, then how come there's so much suffering? And how can God exist? And people say that. Well, a college uh, professor who was an atheist asked his class one day, have you ever, ever heard God? The class said, no. He said, well, ha have you ever seen God? The class said, no. Have you ever felt God? The class said, no. Well, if you've never heard God, you've never seen God, you've never touched God, He must not exist. Well, after a few moments of silence, one student stood up and said, Professor, I'd like to ask the class a question. And the professor said, go right ahead. And so he said, class, have you ever heard the professor's brain? The class said, no. Have you ever seen the professor's brain? The class said, no, we've never seen it. Have you ever felt the professor's brain? The class said, no. And then the student said, well, according to the professor's logic, you've never heard his brain, never seen his brain, you never felt his brain, the professor's brain must not exist. To argue that there is no God is foolishness, the Bible says. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. You see, Job in all of his questioning and demanding of God forgot one important truth, and that is that, that God is not answerable to us. We, we, he is not accountable to us. We are accountable to Him. And we will stand before Him and we will give an account. But listen, if you submit to the will of God, and, and this is the will of God, He's been seeking you and searching after you your entire life. He loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for you. And if you will surrender to the King of Heaven and you will desire His will for your life, then you will receive what He gives. And this is what He gives. He gives eternal life. And He gives blessings abundantly. 
But if you desire Him and you, you want Him, then He'll give you the desire of your heart, which is to be near Him. If our focus is on our health and our wealth and our prosperity, and that's what a lot of preachers preach. They'll stand in a pulpit. Is that what this is, Cody? He'll stand on a platform, and the, and the preacher will speak about how if you will trust Jesus, you'll have everything that your heart ever desired. And what he means by that is health, wealth, and prosperity. Just send me your money. But what the Bible teaches is you may lose everything. Even your own life. But you'll have riches in heaven. And you'll have peace for every day. If you want what God wills, you'll have what God gives. But I want you to see another perspective shift that he needed to make. Secondly, if you could know what God knows, you would do what God does. Now that's a, that's a mouthful, but what I want you to understand is there's a, there's a lot of us that we think that when we pray, it's our job to tell God all about our situation and explain to God what it is we know that He should do. And, and Job was kind of like that. He had that kind of perspective for a while. And so God says to him, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Now that's a quote from chapter 38. And Job is answering that. And he says, Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. <laughs> hey, can somebody say there's a lot I don't know? Can you say that this morning? There's a whole lot I don't know. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. But people come and ask me biblical questions sometimes, and I, and I hope to have the right answer for them, and I, I'll go to the Scripture with them if I, if I don't have it. But sometimes I just have to say to things, I don't know. I mean, they will kind of, hey, pastor, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, preterist, historist? Or... I just don't know. Can you say it's okay to say, I don't know? It's okay. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. And guess what? The older I get, the more I realize there's a whole lot that I don't know. Things that are too wonderful for me to understand Things that don't belong to me to understand, but things that belong to our God. His ways are higher than our ways. Psalm 139, verse 6, such knowledge, uh, David says when he thinks about the, the goodness of God in creation, in creation and in creating Him, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. There are things that you will never understand on this earth. And you've got to be okay with it. You've got to say, I'm okay with that. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than ours. Isn't it always about perspective? Man, if we could just have God's perspective for a moment on our situation, we would understand that God has it under control. And God is a good God and God loves us. But unfortunately, our problems seem too big and our God seems too small. You know, to an ant, a molehill looks like a mountain, right? And to a flea, the backside of a dog looks like a forest. But here's the thing, for you and me, sometimes if we don't have the heavenly perspective that God will give us, if we don't have that, 
then our problems look too big for God. But I tell you, our problems are never too big for God. We can't comprehend the ways of God. And what we have to understand is when, that, when we get that glimpse of God and we begin to see who God is, the problems around us seem a whole lot smaller. And, and if God would do this, if He would just let, if He'd pull the curtain back just a little bit, we would and see how God sees things, we would do exactly what God does in the situation. So who are we to question Him? Who are we to, to, to determine that we know better than God? And God, you need to do it my way. The why that we all won't answer. Have you directed that question toward God lately? Have you said, why God is this happening? The why question, if it's pressed too hard, it becomes a demand for God to explain Himself. And when it's pressed hard enough, it becomes sinful pride. I know enough, God, that I can question You about what You're doing. The older I get, the more I start to sound like my parents. And that frightens me. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean, I know that they were great parents. They were good parents. They, they made mistakes just like any other parents do. I uh, hope my mom's not listening to that right now. Um, but they, they, made, they made mistakes. But here's the thing. Children can't know what their parents know about life. They just can't. My teenage son can't know what I know about life. Even though children think their parents are stupid and just want to ruin their lives. They, this way, you just want to ruin my life. Well, I remember saying I'd never do what my parents do. I remember that. And one line that they, my mom used to use, because I said so. I said, why? Because I said so. And what, it was, what was that meant to do? Well, that, that was meant to end the argument, number one. But secondly, just to say, you should trust me because I'm your parent. And I want what's best for you. That's what's, that's what's uh, built inside of the, that statement, that phrase, because I said so. How much less can we understand why our Heavenly Father does what He does? And how much less can we really inform Him? But if we had a glimpse just like Job, we'd say the same thing with Job. We'd say this, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. In other words, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Can anybody tell me what this is? Uh, on the screen, I'm going to, not this one, the next one, Caleb. Anybody tell, can anybody tell me what that is? Do you know what that is? Well, it, it doesn't look like anything. Does it? it looks like pink and green and dots and what is that? You know, this is uh, Surratt's painting. And if I told you, listen, this is, a, this is the corner of a man's coat. You wouldn't get it, would you? I mean, you just look like, what in the world? Now, this, this painting is massive. It's up in Chicago. And uh, when you zoom out, this is what it looks like. Caleb? 
That's what it looks like. But somewhere, I'm just going to come over here and just show you real quick. Somewhere around in here, that a little clipping came from like right there. This is called pointillism. It's called pointillism. And, and it, it's a method of a painting, an, an art form, that uh, uses just dots of color. It's essentially how that the screen really works, actually, the LED screen. It's just dots of color, RGB uh, and white, just dots of color. And they come together and they form a, a pretty picture. And it, this is the way our lives are on this earth. We really don't have the perspective that we need. But I tell you, if we had a glimpse of God, then you'd learn to trust Him. And that He has the perception that you don't. Can you hold on to Romans 8.28? You know it, let's say it together, okay? Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. You believe that? I believe it. You say, well, I, I need that I need that heavenly perspective. Let me remind you what he says. He says, draw near to him, right? Jeremiah 3, uh, 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. Listen. You, you turn it to him. And you, he says, call to me and I will answer you. What will he do? I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. If you get that glimpse of God that he wants you to have, and you won't understand it all, but guess what? You will understand that He has a plan and a purpose. And He'll reveal things to you that you never knew before. But He wants you to trust Him. And then thirdly, here's another perspective shift that you need to have. When you see who God is, you'll know who you are. Now look at what it says again. He says, in verse 4, He's quoting the Lord again. He says, hear and I will speak. This is what God had said to him. I will question you and you make it known to me. See, God is saying, I'll come down to your level, I'll question you, and then you tell me what I don't know. Anybody be able to do that in the room? Get a moment with God and inform God about what He doesn't know about you? That's the way we treat our prayer time sometimes. Verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. That's what... Job says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job thought that his reasoning was on par with God's understanding, and he thought that, that he could have a conversation with God. But the moment that he saw God, what did he do? He put his hand on his mouth. Yeah, we sing that song, I Can Only Imagine. I can only imagine what it will be like. And then he goes on to say, will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I think that this is what heaven is going to be like to begin with. We're just going to be silent before God. We're just going to sit in his presence and say, oh, you're holy. And we won't have any, I mean, you think, Whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to ask about this and I'm going to ask about that. No, when you get to heaven, you're going to be quiet before God. You're not going to have anything to say. You're just going to 
be amazed by who He is. God is God and I'm not. We don't need an answer from God. What we need is to experience His goodness. Psalm 8.4 What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When you see God for who He really is and you know who God really is, then you start to get a perspective of yourself. You know who God is. and with, This is the way the Bible describes Him. He's loving. He's kind. He's jealous for His own. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. He's, he's higher than we are. He's holy. He's set apart in the heavens. New song that came out by Mercy Me. I want to sing, uh, it's not singing. I want to tell you the words of another one. <laughs> You're the one who makes mountains move. Stars will not shine unless you tell them to. You conquered the grave to make all things new. Who am I to not worship you? Let's just say this. <clears throat> I want you to say, God knows what's best for me. Would you say that? I want you, some of you said it halfway because you're like a zombie this morning and you hadn't had enough coffee or whatever. Let's say it one more time together. God knows what's best for me. Amen. Now I want you to, in your heart, I want you to direct that to Him and say, Lord, you know what's best for me. Just in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Lord, you know what's best for me. And Job says, I heard of you, but now I see you. And then he looks at himself. He said, well, I've seen who God is. I know that his purpose for me can't be thwarted. I know all of those things about him. But then he says, I despise myself. See, he sees himself when he sees who God is. He, he looks at himself and he says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. think about that and I, I think about how the Lord said unless you all likewise repent you shall perish when Job got a glimpse of God he got a glimpse of himself and he realized that all of his demanding of God was his own selfish pride in saying I know better than And what God gave him was a brand new perspective of himself. This was the purpose of God. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we find out that God begins. He's right there. Now, I'm not going to get into next week's message, but what I want to tell you is that, that all along, God, because He is a gracious and loving God, and He loved Job, He loved Job infinitely, God was planning to lavish all kinds of wonderful things upon Job, and not to just do that right there and then for those next 140 years of His life, but to do it for eternity. God, He looked down through the annuals of time and not only did He see Job on His knees, 
He saw His Son on the cross. Forgiving that wretched sinner. And loving Him to the point of death on the cross. You're questioning God, why? Why are you letting this happen to me? I hope that you could have that perspective. I hope that you could see your Savior on the cross. Dying for you. And know that He loves you. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. He tells us that suffering will be a part of the world we live in. The world is broken, but He came. His purpose was to enter into this world of suffering. To take the suffering upon Himself and die on a sinner's cross for you and me. He did it for us. And He loves you infinitely. If you'll humble yourself like Job, you'll come before Him, admit your sinfulness, say to Him, I, I need you, Lord, then He will forgive you, He will save you, He will give you eternity with Him in heaven. And we're about to give you the opportunity to do that. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart, or one like it. It's not the words of the prayer. It's what you mean in your heart that makes the difference. Repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. That I've done things that I know are wrong and I've failed to do things that I know are right. And because of my sin, I have fallen short of your glory. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. And that you died in my place on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you were raised again on the third day to prove that you are God. And death has no power over you. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. Write my name down in your book. Put your spirit within me. Now if you've prayed that prayer, Jesus heard that prayer. And he's honored that prayer. So just say this in your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you saving me if you're a believer and you've prayed that prayer many years ago and you know him say it with us now just say Jesus thank you for saving me a sinner I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you in your name I pray amen now would you stand with me we're about to have our invitation this is your opportunity if you've prayed that prayer in your heart that's not something that's meant to stay just in your heart it's meant to be confessed it's meant to be said aloud in front of witnesses. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me on earth before men, I will be ashamed of you whenever my, when I return. I'll be ashamed of you. And so I, I don't want him to be ashamed of you when he, when he returns with his angels. I want him to welcome you in, just as you've, as you've welcomed him into your heart. And so you come, this is your invitation to come and share what God, publicly what God has done there with you. If you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you.
If you are coming today saying, I'm coming to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, then you come. This is your invitation as well. And we'll welcome you here as a member of the family of faith. Let's sing our hymn together. And you come as the Lord leads you to come. Are you
you to ask the Lord this. I want you to pray this in your heart. Commit this to say, Lord, I'm seeking you now. Give me just one glimpse of you. Just let that be your prayer this week. Say, God, I know I know you're here. I know you're working, but God, I just want one glimpse. Just let me see you this week in my life. I believe with all my heart that if you pray that and you mean that, the Lord will give you that perspective. He'll give you that glimpse that you need. And you'll be able to have a fresh perspective on your situation because of it. Amen. Once you be seated for just a moment, um, I, I want to invite uh, Pastor Ron to come up here for just a moment. He, he uh, has a, just a word he wants to give to you. And uh, I want to say this while he's on his way up here. Hey, thank you so much for being patient. Thank you so much for doing such a great job. Still coming and and being a part of everything that's going on here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. Just so thankful for you. And there's lots of work still yet to be done, so stay in prayer, number one. And number two, if you can, find time to volunteer. There's lots of things to be done, from cleaning to painting to uh, providing snacks and refreshments and things for those that are working. So if you can help out, we'd love to have your help. All you have to do is call the office, and we will uh, tell you what's going on this week, and you can be a part of it. All right, Brother Ron, if you'll use this. Thank you, Brother. Oh, thank you, Brother Josh. What a powerful message. Uh, folks, you are being fed the Word of God. It has been rightly divided by this preacher. You give God praise and glory. The Lord sent you a wonderful under-shepherd. He's doing a great job. Proud of you. You know, this was kind of like a deja vu here. Um, It was 22 years ago that uh, we had met here for worship in this auditorium during the uh, renovation. How many, just out of curiosity, how many of you were here during that time? Would you raise your hand? That was quite... (laughs) quite an experience. But you know, we thank the Lord for these buildings. I remember uh, this building being constructed, paying it off, dedicating the building, you know, and uh, all that through the power of prayer. Uh, It's amazing uh, what prayer can do, amen? And what your pastor was talking about today is so important to realize that nothing, absolutely nothing can be done without the presence of power of God for any spiritual good. Can I get a witness on that? Amen? Amen. You know, uh, it was, what, I think two years right after uh, the renovation was done, complete, all this was over, that we got hit by Hurricane Ivan. And that would be the beginning of a number of different challenges, problems, situations that uh, came up during those many years when I had the privilege of serving here as under-shepherd. But in each and every one of those situations, ladies and gentlemen, it was prayer. Can I get a witness? If you were here with me, we went to the Lord. And what did we do? We had seasons of fasting and prayer. And what happened when we fasted and prayed? I mean, not just Hurricane Ivan, the economic downturn 
in 2007, eight, you remember that? People lost jobs. We had, we had over a million dollars of debt. But it was the power of prayer, fasting and prayer, that God delivered us. And we came through. Can I get a witness now? If you were here, amen? Amen? That was weak. Come on. You were here. You know what God did, right? And you see, that's why I'm so proud right now of the uh, response to your day of prayer in joining with 29 other churches right now, gathering together before God, taking one day to uh, pray for the city of Pensacola and Escambia County, for our schools, public schools, students, teachers. When we form together in a united effort, God does tremendous things. And I'd like, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're one of those, I think it's 25, 26, maybe more now, individuals that are praying for an hour on that day, would you stand up? Would you stand, please? Every prayer warrior that are part of that. God bless you for doing that. God bless you for being a part of this intercessory prayer ministry. You may be seated. You know, I thank the Lord for it because what happens when a church begins to realize that it's through God's power of leadership in prayer, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that you can see things through. God bless you for that. What's happening here at your church is there is beginning to develop, and I see it in many of our churches, a culture of prayer where you're understanding that everything that we do, everything that we encounter, every problem that may come, it's coming together and seeking God's face. Uh, that's the solution. Because, because once you hear from the Lord and you have enough people praying, seeking God's face, God's not going to say something different to Joe Smith over here than he will to Bob Jones, okay? The same message is going to come. So prayer has a way of unifying the body of Christ. And he's doing that with your church now. Just a couple weeks ago, Meryl and I were worshiping. We were up on the balcony, sitting behind uh, Tanny Addy and Henry. And I looked down and seen all the new families and the new faces that are coming here. How's that happening? That's the power of prayer and the unapologetic preaching of the authority of the Word of God that your under-shepherd is doing. That's what matters most. People will be reached by that. Now, I want to thank you uh, for being a prayer partner. Uh, last week, I was at the First Assembly of God Church in Pensacola, and a young pastor, his 10-year-old daughter, they had discovered weeks before, had a brain tumor. I mean, a tumor growing in her brain and had a major surgery. Ten-year-old girl, Aubrey. I, had, I, I met that next day at our uh, Sunday's barbecue with all, a number of our pastors. We prayed and joined our voice, along with many, many others, praying for that girl whose surgery was taking place that day. Well, God miraculously worked through the surgeons, removed that tumor. Two weeks later, she was back in school. Last Sunday morning, that pastor, young guy, got up and he shared about that journey that he and his wife went on. They went through the valley of the shadow of death, but God gave them a peace where they feared no evil. And boy, the blessing that poured out of that and the celebration last Sunday at that church was great. Got to be a part of that. God's people in the city, now we have right now in these 29 churches, some of the largest churches in the city, like Olive and Hillcrest, 
First Baptist, Brownsville, some of the smallest churches, missions, Hispanic, Vietnamese, and everything in between. On the, on the 14th of March, and you know about this, okay? It's been promoted. On the 14th, March 14th, Thursday night, we're going to assemble in the main worship center downtown at First Baptist. Representatives, members of these 29 churches will pour into that building at 6.30. For what? No preaching, no music. For a prayer meeting, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for revival in our city of Pensacola, for a spiritual awakening, for the eyes of the lost to be opened so people will come to know Jesus. We're going to pray against satanic darkness. We're going to pray for a covering and protection over our public schools, students, and parents. You're going to want to be a part of that prayer meeting. Folks, I want you to come be a part of that. On that night, we want to pack out that church to overflowing with people standing in the house, even not able to even get in the building. So God will come down and spark a mighty revival with those that are there. Whatever you do, block off that evening on your, on your own personal calendar. Plan to come downtown to one of our sister churches at First Baptist and be a part of that event. You don't want to miss that. And then you have the blessing because of your pastor's wisdom to have the two men that I'm flying in from uh, Austin, Texas, one uh, who is the head of a national movement of one cry nationally, where movements like this are happening all over the country. He's going to be here to speak to you as you're keeping him on a weekend of uh, focus on prayer uh, that uh, following the following days, uh, I believe Friday through Sunday. It's going to be a great event. You're going to be so blessed by that. And it's going to energize you. Everything that God's doing right now, nothing, as Josh brought out so clearly here, nothing's impossible for God. Do you believe that, folks? I want you to stand right now. Stand to your feet. If you believe that, you give God praise and glory right now, okay? You thank him. Praise him. All right, church family, two really, really quick things, okay? One, we have Disciple Now coming up for our students. Uh, super, super awesome weekend for them to get away and for us to take them off your hands for a weekend, uh, for them to get poured into uh, and get discipled. Um, so if you have a teenager from 6th grade up to 12th grade, uh, you can get them registered. We have a next-gen calendar that is on the back door. If you scan that QR code, the very first link is their registration, and we need everybody registered by Wednesday. Okay, so if you have a, excuse me, if you have a sixth grader to a twelfth grader, they can get registered through that QR code. Uh, and then the next thing, we got to get all these chairs put up as soon as we close out in prayer. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is, when you stack the chairs, please do not drag them across the floor. It cuts into the wood pretty good. We will come around with a chair dolly and pick them up. But if you will help stack them. We'll get them put into place, all right? Thank you so much. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we praise you. We thank you so much for the word, Father. And God, I just pray that we take everything that we have gathered this morning, whether it be in our small groups, whether it be here in worship, whether it be the word that Josh brought to us so well, God, that we will apply it to our life, that we don't let Sundays just be a day where we come and we mark a checkbox saying that we came to church, but God, we take what is there and we apply it to our lives and then we go out and we share your love we share your truth with those that are around us those that are lost god we love what you're doing here 
at Myrtle Grove. We love what you're doing and beginning to do in our city. And God, I just pray that you continue to push us, encourage us, put people in our path for us to share the gospel with and to love them like you did. God, we love you. In your heavenly name, amen.